early in my career, I didn't have the confidence to ask all of the questions. And now I look back on multiple incidents where people said, I had the exact same question. I just didn't ask it because I felt a bit timid or shy or whatever the case may be. Intellectual curiosity always gets rewarded. So I think it's really important to ask those questions. It's how you foster communication. Know this, wherever you are on your personal and professional leadership journey, you can take your game to the next level. Welcome to Training Camp for Leaders with Archie L. Jones Jr., the podcast that will help you dream bigger and pursue your goals more confidently. Hi, leaders. Welcome back. Today, I'm speaking with none other than Lynn Martin, president of the New York Stock Exchange Group and chair of ICE Fixed Income and Data Services. She is only the second woman to lead the exchange in its 230-year history. Oh, and did I mention that Fortune recognized her on their list of the most powerful women this past year. Today, Lynn shares with us what it takes to reach the top. We talk about asking lots of questions, failing fast, and having an entrepreneurial mindset. That's right. I said intrapreneurial. More on that later. Before we dive in, just wanted to remind you to stick around till the end. Trust me, you don't want to miss my takeaways from this conversation. All right, let's do this. One of the things we've been talking about on the show and learning on the show is there's no such thing as a common career. Can you tell us a little bit about your uncommon journey to the uh, top of the exchange? Yeah. So, Archie, it's great to be with you today. Uh, So I took a nonlinear path to run the New York Stock Exchange. When I say that, I refer back to the fact that during university, I got my degree in computer science, and my first jobs out of school were writing code when the dot-com era was in full force. Uh, ultimately, it is what led me to join an exchange group, which was going through its own electronic transformation at the time. The exchange was the London Financial Futures Exchange, a derivatives exchange based out of London, Uh, And they were really looking for someone who didn't know the products, but knew how to speak to a programmer who was in the process of coding to this thing called an API that only people who had written code knew what that was. So uh, throughout my career, you know, technology has played such a huge role. And I've been very fortunate to have a variety of opportunities that have been focused on technology and importantly, the role that technology plays in today's modern markets and today's modern business. How do you think about that computer programming start tying into your leadership style? I think what getting started in a tech industry really taught me was there weren't always going to be people around the table that looked exactly the same as you. As you can imagine, uh, Computer programming wasn't exactly the most female-dominated 
a profession, and it certainly was not a focus of many females when I got my my start. I think there were only two of us in the comp sci undergrad major, and then I went on for my master's in math. I think there were probably about four of us in that discipline. What it taught me very early was to be comfortable when you don't necessarily see yourself at the table and to realize that you could add value to the meetings that you are having to the discussion around the table, to thinking about things differently, just because you didn't match everyone in the room. So it's been sort of a trait that I've leaned on throughout my career is how to use my voice in an efficient fashion and in an impactful fashion. How's that changed now that you're at the head of the table? (laughs) You were just kind of a person at the table before, but now you're at the head of the table. Yeah, I think being, at, as you say, at the head of the table, I think it's a really important lesson for any leader to look around you and ensure you're getting a diversity of opinion, diversity of thought, and the richness of the conversation that occurs when you get a variety of different backgrounds. Those backgrounds can be where people grew up, what industries they grew up in. It can be where they came from. It can be, you know, the the standard diversity metrics, but the richness of conversation is definitely fostered when you have diversity at the table. I love that. And our leaders listening in will love to hear that. Um, it's not just the standard things that we think about that drive diversity and, and maybe get them a seat at the table, but they do uh, really need to bring, and you want them to bring that diversity of thought as well. So I often talk to our listeners and our leaders about um, an entrepreneurial journey, maybe even an entrepreneurial journey. I'd love to hear how you think about entrepreneurship. It must have been an entrepreneurial, real entrepreneurial journey, making your way uh, through the organization for the last 20 some odd years. Yeah, when I first joined the organization, I was back in 2001, and we were a startup. We were private equity backed at that point. Uh, the division that I was a part of, which was the London Financial Futures Exchange. That business got acquired by a company called Euronext. What I loved first about walking in those doors was the entrepreneurial spirit in 2001, um, which really continued through the Euronext acquisition. Uh, Then the New York Stock Exchange, of course, acquired Euronext back in, in 2007. At that time, we were asked to build a startup within the New York Stock Exchange, an entity called NYSE Life US, which was a startup derivatives market. So we started up a derivatives exchange. We also started a derivatives clearinghouse. It was half owned by the New York Stock Exchange. Again, it was that entrepreneurial spirit that just carried me through that part of my career as we were half owned by the New York Stock Exchange at at the time. And then when ICE came along and acquired the New York Stock Exchange, ICE's founder and CEO, a gentleman by the name of Jeff Sprecher, asked me to start up our fixed income and data services vertical, which is you know one of our largest business units. Uh, that also took an entrepreneurial spirit. So I think the right way to think about your question is you can approach the organization with the longest tenure, the best longevity, with an entrepreneurial spirit. 
the entrepreneurial spirit is what drives a business forward and helps build the business for the next five years, 10 years, in our case, 231 years, because that spirit is what drives change and what drives innovation, what drives you and your team to look at problems differently and solve the problems of tomorrow, as opposed to just thinking about the problems of yesterday. Hey, leaders, just a quick note here. Even though we're using the word entrepreneurship, what we're really talking about is something called intrapreneurship. An entrepreneur is someone like Lynn, who uses an entrepreneurial mindset inside of an established company. There's a lesson right there. You don't need to start an organization to be innovative, to think out of the box, or to solve problems. With this approach, Lynn worked for about a decade at New York Stock Exchange before they were bought by ICE, a company that implements cutting-edge technology to financial markets. With Lynn's background, it was the perfect opportunity for her to step up. Back in 2013, you told the CEO after the merger that you wanted a, you wanted a meaningful role in the combined company. Take us back to what was going through your mind. I talk often about asking for the order as a part of communication. I'd love to know what you were thinking as you shared your, your ambition with him. You know, when I think back to that conversation, what I was thinking about was we had a meaningful synergy target to achieve by bringing two big organizations together. And I would love to stay with the organization, but it had to be a good role given my level of seniority. I wanted to be a team player, drive the strategy forward for the combined organization. And if I didn't have that opportunity, a synergy case probably made sense. Um, So I was really thinking of it more from the shareholder perspective of how are we going to efficiently bring these businesses together and achieve all of the great things that we had set out when we were articulating the whole uh, merger between ICE and the New York Stock Exchange. Um, You know, 10 years later, we've achieved all the great things we said we were going to achieve, and then some, multiple times over. I've been incredibly proud to be part of this organization, particularly as this organization continues to transform businesses, markets, opportunities. Part of that sounds like you actually knew your worth as well. When you say there was a synergy case, for those who don't know what that means, that means you would leave the organization and pursue some other opportunities. So let that let that cost come out of the combined entity and you pursue something else. But that means you knew your worth and you knew that there was opportunities for you outside of the organization, even though you wanted to stay with the organization. Yeah. And I also knew that I was motivated and I had a set of talents where I could be, in fact, impactful to an organization. Obviously, I really wanted to stay with the combined organization because once you're a part of the New York Stock Exchange, there's nothing but love that you feel for such an iconic institution. And looking at ICE's history and the way that ICE always leads with technology Knowing that that was the mindset and given my background, of course, I wanted to be a part of that transformation. Where did you get the confidence to take the reins? 
Yeah, Archie, I thought about that conversation many times since I've actually assumed the role of president of the New York Stock Exchange. And thinking back, probably the best way I describe what I was feeling is just a sense of gravity as being asked to lead such an iconic institution, a 231-year-old institution, which has stood at the forefront of capital creation for hundreds of years, allowing the greatest minds, entrepreneurs, innovators to raise the capital that they need to change the world. There's not a day that goes by that I don't walk into this building and feel an enormous sense of pride to be given this opportunity at this moment in time, which is such a pivotal moment of time, given the geopolitical discussions that are happening, given the state of the economy, given a variety of other macroeconomic factors, which are hitting business leaders all at once. You've been there 20 some odd years. Yes, I've been a part of the Umbrella Organization for about 21 years now. Wow, so much to unpack in that story. Did you hear how confident Lynn was in her capability and in asking for what she deserved? That's what I call leveraging one's leadership capital. But Lynn wasn't just looking after her own career. She had her companies back, too. When did you first start thinking of yourself as a leader? And do you think of yourself as an entrepreneur? I'd say I have the entrepreneurial spirit in that I like to think about problems differently. I don't like to maintain the status quo. And I think that is really the true spirit of an entrepreneur. The mind of the entrepreneur, those com- those people that go out and start new businesses and build the next innovations is one that is absolutely fascinating to me. Um, and it's the people I enjoy talking to the most. I've learned a lot from that. Um, In terms of leadership, I think everyone has the opportunity to be a leader, whether you're a people manager or you're not a people manager. I feel like leadership and people manager gets used interchangeably when a leader is someone who sets a good example. You can do that by having a team that works for you. You can have it by, you can do that by just going about your business in a way that should be admired. So I think leadership is one of those topics that sometimes gets conflated with having a a big team when should be a bit more internalized. Forget about title, forget about status. It's about a lot more than that. I hear you loud and clear. Absolutely. What was it in your upbringing back in your childhood days that um, instilled that entrepreneurial spirit and, and maybe that sense of leadership? I guess growing up, I always saw my parents, particularly my dad. My dad was someone who worked six days a week until he was 75 years old. He went into the office six days a week, you know, VPNing in and logging on remotely wasn't as prevalent back then. Uh, he would work late nights. So work ethic is something that I really learned through having great role models. In terms of leadership, I was never someone who conformed. Uh, I didn't just 
follow the pact. If I wanted to head a different route in school, I took that different route. I guess that's probably why one of the reasons I took the non-traditional path from an educational standpoint. So having strong role models, but also having the confidence in yourself to sometimes be different are two things that have carried me well in life. We talk about confidence in my five C's of leadership capital and that confidence to be yourself and to, and to be the contrarian a little bit, do some things that are different than the norm or different than what's expected. It is a key part of that journey. So the New York Stock Exchange is all about access to capital and developing capital markets globally. How's the exchange enabling economic mobility and empowerment? You know, one of the things we spend a lot of time thinking about is financial literacy. How do we empower the next generation of leaders to invest? And what does investing actually look like? It, it, it amazes me how ill-equipped certain demographics are in terms of once you get $100 in your bank account, well, what does that mean in your savings account? How do you plan for your future? So financial literacy is something we spend a lot of time thinking about. And I feel as though that's one of the core things that is our responsibility. And additionally, we're a like-minded group of entrepreneurs and innovators and CEOs. So there are CEOs that come through here all the time that are promoting a variety of aspects. Uh, ESG investing, also known as social investing, means you do well by doing good, for lack of a better description. So ensuring that you know you're 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 paying it forward in your communities as well as running your business well are are topics that are on the minds of our CEOs that I see every day. You've had a fantastic journey. We've talked about some of the highlights. How about some of the setbacks? Give me a setback or a failure and what you learned from that. Yeah, you know, setbacks and failures are where you actually learn the most from. When you don't win a deal, when you roll out a product that doesn't do exactly what you thought it was going to do. I encourage my teams to take risks, calculated risks, educated risks. But if something doesn't work out, fail fast. And once you fail fast, what did you learn from that failure? What are what are the lessons that you can take so that the next time you try it or the next great idea is an idea that does exactly what you think it's going to do or comes closer to doing, delivering the returns that that you had hoped. Failing fast is uh, something important, but importantly, it's the lessons you take from the, the failures that actually help really refine your thinking on strategy. How does your leadership show up in, uh, in crisis? I know since you've been president, we've had some, uh, some tumultuous times uh, in the financial markets. Tell me about leading in a crisis and maybe even finding opportunity in a crisis. Two things on that. I think, first, it's very important to stay calm. Don't, don't focus on the emotion that may come along with crisis mode. Fortunately, we've done a lot to our own business to ensure that we're well-equipped to handle volatility in markets, which, Archie, as you point out, the the last two years have not had a shortage of those volatile moments. 
in <laughs> our financial market. So from our perspective, it's been about future-proofing systems, making sure they have capacity, can handle the swings, can handle the the ups and downs of markets seamlessly. So in terms of our role there, I, I feel as though we're there to be the common force. We're there to make sure risk can really be managed during those volatile periods in time. Be a little bit of the calm in the midst of the storm, so to speak. Absolutely. And help drown out some of the noise. That's why we're really not, we will never be focused on offering opinions. For example, we run a market. We, our job is to keep the market open, let the market decide how to manage its risks. Did you hear that, leaders? When things aren't going well, stay calm and focus on the job at hand. Tell me what your superpower is. <laughs> superpower. Gosh, I think probably I like to say a superpower I have is multitasking, the ability to multitask and pivot, which it feels like particularly over the last two years, you have to do every day of the week, multiple times throughout the course of the day. You never know what demands are going to be on your schedule. It's very rare that I have a calendar day that doesn't have a few speed bumps thrown in there because of some great opportunity or some issue that needs to be addressed. So being able to pivot and multitask, I'd say, are probably probably my superpowers. What's your kryptonite, if that's your superpower? My kryptonite, you know, I'd say kryptonite is interesting because kryptonite, just the term kryptonite, that is what takes away superpowers. You can't let kryptonite take away your superpower. There you go. Be it, you know, various crises. How do you remain calm through them? How do you deal with people who can be disruptive forces in your business planning as opposed to moving everyone in the same direction and having everyone row in the same direction, which the team spirit definitely needs to be there if you're going to be successful. So it's a balance of figuring out where the kryptonite spots are and figuring out how to deal with those kryptonites so that they don't actually become kryptonite. Got it. I know you sit on a number of nonprofit boards. How do you think about that board service? I think nonprofit boards are incredibly important in terms of giving back to the community. I always tell people, though, when you join nonprofit boards, you should be very passionate about the boards that you're you're a part of. And I have the fortunate pleasure to be part of three nonprofit boards. One is my alma mater. So, of course, I have a huge affinity to them. Another is an organization that I feel incredibly passionate about called the Inner City Scholarship Fund, which raises money for students who are in underprivileged areas and allows them to get the benefits of a private school education um, that, you know, perhaps are outside of their reach. And then last is the partnership for New York City, which... I'm a born and bred New Yorker. I love New York. I want to see New York do well. New York has its challenges at various times. So anything we can do from a business perspective to help further New York's position in the world, we're always happy to support. 
Many of our leaders are aspiring directors, wanting to possibly even be on the boards of uh, companies that are listed on your exchange. Advice for those directors and leaders as they as they make that journey? Yeah, come find us. We have uh, we have a great service. Seriously, we have a great service around promoting diversity on the boards of of our company. We have about 30 CEOs that sit on an advisory council called the Board Advisory Council, some incredibly iconic names. Um, Some of our largest companies sit on this council. And behind that council, we've got a database of 750 diverse candidates. We are running searches for CEOs in our community every day because to a person, a CEO recognizes the value that comes alongside having a diverse board, having a diverse management team, having different perspectives at the table. The returns are very clear. So for those of you who are looking at becoming a board member as part of your future, we would love to talk to you to ensure that you are part of our database. You heard, Lynn. If you're looking to become a board director, check out New York Stock Exchange's Board Advisory Council. The link is in our show notes. You said early in your career, um, you navigated a male-dominated field by asking a lot of questions. I sure did. What should our leaders take away from that, and what questions should they be asking? So I... I'm a person who's just intellectually curious by nature. And early in my career, I didn't have the confidence to ask all of the questions. And now I look back on multiple instances where people said, I had the exact same question. I just didn't ask it because I felt a bit timid or shy or whatever the case may be. Intellectual curiosity always gets rewarded. So I think it's really important to ask those questions. It's how you foster communication at a base level. What's your favorite leadership or uh, business quote? Uh, There are so many. I kind of go by rules, though, or principles that sort of guide me. One of those is you can never over-communicate. It was something that was taught to me by an early mentor of mine who happened to be a direct manager of mine. And it has meant something to me in multiple iterations of my career. You can never over-communicate means if you're a junior person, don't be afraid to ask those questions. If you're a senior person, you have to communicate with the team underneath you about where your strategy is and what direction you're moving the business forward. Otherwise, they're doing jobs, but they're not executing a strategy. And if you're in a senior position, you also have to communicate with your board to get all the amazing nuggets out of their out of their mind from from a guidance perspective. Uh, so that's more the principle that I've I've operated under since early on in my career. Fantastic. Thank you, Lynn. Appreciate you joining us. Thank you, Archie. It's great being with you. All right, let's get her out of here and back to the bell so she can close the stock market. The market won't close without her there. They'll be trading all night. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, leaders, are you ready for my three key takeaways? Ready or not, here they come. Number one, diversity is important not just for diversity's sake. 
To be truly innovative and solve the problems of tomorrow, teams need diverse thoughts and backgrounds. So look at your differences as a potential strength or an asset. Number two, you don't need to start your own organization to use your entrepreneurial mindset and skills. Be an entrepreneur by taking calculated risks to grow the company you're already in. And when things don't go as planned, stay calm. Remember, opportunities also arise in times of crisis. Number three, communication is key. Make sure to stay curious and ask questions. And remember, one can never over-communicate. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe to Training Camp for Leaders with Archie L. Jones Jr. so you don't miss out on new episodes. Also rate and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. If you are a leader or aspiring to be one, visit archieljonesjr.com. There you can pre-order my book, The Treasure You Seek, a guide to developing and leveraging your leadership capital and connect directly with me. If you want to learn more about NextGen Coach Network Governance Training Camp and the work we do, visit our website at nextgencoachnetwork.com. That's spelled N-X-G-E-N coachnetwork.com. Thank you so much for joining us, and I'll catch you all in the next episode. Training Camp for Leaders with Archie L. Jones Jr. is produced by NextGen Coach Network and Human Group Media.